Guitarathon is the greatest guitar sale on earth, and it's happening now. Get massive savings on a huge selection of electric and acoustic guitars, basses, amps, pedals, and other accessories. Save up to $450 on a Gibson Les Paul Studio Deluxe, up to $900 on a Gibson Les Paul Trad Pro 4, or save up to 20% on other select Gibson guitars. Plus, get special financing on select major brands. Don't miss these incredible deals. Available online and in store now through November 1st. Guitarathon, only at Guitar Center. Find your sound. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 119 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and coming to me... uh, Coming to you with me, I should say, today on this fine Tuesday to wrap up what was a very busy weekend for the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, he was in the building for both games, and his name is Chris Willis. What's up, man? Hey, Brad. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Uh, it's good to be back in town. Uh, for those of you that missed the end of last week's shows, I was, not, I was not in attendance for these two games. I had not missed a game this year, but I missed two in a row. Uh, and Chris pinch hit for me in more ways than one. So I appreciate you doing that, of course. And now uh, it's fitting that we have you on to talk about it. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun to get back down to Phillips Arena. I don't get down there quite as much as you do, but uh, you know, it was it was a fun weekend in Atlanta. Uh, two different, you know, two different kinds of games, um, and uh, but you know, it it was fun. It was a lot of fun. For sure. I mean, I got to catch up on these games, uh, watching them uh, both live and in a couple of a couple rewatches after the fact. It's some interesting basketball, to be sure. I, of course, the, I guess the big game was Friday night um, as the Hawks fell to the Celtics, one hundred three to one hundred one. Um, it was a fun game. I mean, obviously not a great result for the Hawks, but they had a, they had a, they had a massive comeback in the fourth quarter to uh, tie the game before Isaiah Thomas ended things uh, in a way that only Isaiah Thomas can do apparently. Um, but uh, I guess overall overall takeaways from you on this game, you know, we, we talk about Al Horford. Uh, we have to talk about Al Horford getting booed throughout the game, and, and your thoughts on that. But uh, what was the scene like down there? And of course, did you think the Hawks play well in this game, or was it a spot where they, they kind of just fell behind, uh, playing not playing not so well, and then kind of picked it up late? Uh, you know, it was kind of interesting game. I mean, it was electric at, at Phillips Arena. You know, it was a lot of anticipation. You know, you, you kind of knew it was going to be. You know, it, it felt like a big game. It's it's just regular season. It's just the first meeting between the two. Uh, but you know, it, it seemed like everybody was ready, and there were a lot of Celtics fans there. They always are. You know, anytime Boston comes to town, it seems like we always see a lot of Celtics green. But uh, you know, there was it was the Hawks fans that were there were very loud, and um, you know, uh, uh, like I said, the thing happened with Horford. But I mean. Yeah, I didn't feel like the Hawks were playing real well. They they struggled offensively early on, um, and then again in the third quarter, Boston lit it up from outside, and then kind of uh, fell in, you know, just fell in love with that three point shot. I thought, um, you know, I thought Atlanta it really felt like Atlanta was kind of lucky to still be hanging around. You know, I thought there was a couple of times in that game that it was just going to get, you know, it's going to get blown out of uh, out of the out of the water there, and uh, you know, and then they was probably going to just empty the benches. But uh, you know, they never did. Atlanta kept battling back. Bud was uh, searching for answers in the second half. Inserted Mike Dunleavy, uh, and that that reserve unit, you know, raced a twenty point deficit, and you know, very nearly pulled the thing out there at the, you know, there at the end. So. Uh, you know, it, it was a great ball game. It was it was fun ball game. Uh, I don't know that it was exceptionally played well, 
but you know that's two teams with two good styles, and it's a you know it's kind of a, an interesting basketball game to watch. Yeah, I mean the story outside of Horford, of course, was was the bench, like you said. I thought you know Hardaway and Delaney, especially those two guys, played lights out, especially down the stretch in the fourth quarter. Uh, Delaney was plus twenty three in his twenty seven minutes of play, while Schroeder was minus twenty three. Uh, it's not always that simple, but this is one of Dennis's worst games of the year, I thought. And Malcolm, uh, you know, the Hawks were fortunate to get a very very good game out of Delaney, who finally looks to be shooting the ball a little bit better. And of course, Hardaway had made a couple of big shots down the stretch as well. Um, defensively, you know, people. Were asking me on that last play with Thomas if things could have been done it been done any differently. I was okay with just kind of how they handled it. And Thomas Thomas went out and made a play. Uh, do you have any any big issue with how the Hawks you know what what the plan was there on him and defensively? And I think people tend to focus too much on this on this stuff at the end of games. But when, well, you, when you lose when you lose a game at the very end, I guess it's pretty obvious. Yeah, I mean, you know, I thought it was uh, they had Baysmore on him, and uh, you know, and I thought that was a good move. But you got to remember now, Thomas Thomas waved off the timeout. Yep. Uh, you know, Bud might have uh, Bud might have gave them a different look. You know, if it had been coming out of a timeout situation, but they played straight on. It was uh, you know off the thing. So, I think that really limited any uh, any audibles they could call. You know, from a, a defensive standpoint, I thought Thomas just made a heck of a move, hit a step back jumper, kind of fading away. You know, and and Bays, I thought Bays did a decent job making it a tough, you know, a tougher shot. But you know, you just got to tip your hat in that situation. I mean, uh, they just happened to have they get get one to fall there. The Hawks had another chance to score and just you know couldn't couldn't come up with a bucket. For sure, I thought I was, I was okay with it as well. You know, Baysmore uh, does a good job usually on on point guards, and uh, he's he's got some size advantage, of course, on Thomas. And I thought he did a reasonable job. It's just it is kind of what it is. You mentioned that's a good point that they you know Thomas could have they could they could, the Boston could have taken a timeout and he didn't want it, so that they waved it off and uh, made plays. Of course, Thomas had twenty eight points, nine assists, uh, pretty much dominated the Schroeder matchup, and there was some uh, fireworks after the game. Uh, those two guys do not like each other uh, without going into too deep, and there was an accusation of uh, some some uh, some trash talk that went off the court that uh, one guy denied the other guy said was true and now thomas uh, got the last laugh kind of saying that uh that Schroeder wasn't wasn't on his level after this game. Um, so you know a lot of this stuff, I really find just uh, not amusing. I, I don't know, entertaining in terms of trash talk and stuff. But it's pretty clear to me that Thomas and Schroeder don't like each other. I mean, obviously, you were in the building. I think it was pretty clear even from TV that was the case. And of course, their, their comments after. But Thomas got the last laugh here because like, again, I thought Dennis was kind of was, this is definitely one of the worst game, if not the worst game of the year for Schroeder, and it was kind of an inopportune time for that. Yeah, I agree. I think he and I, it really felt like Dennis kind of got took out of the out of the game because of that matchup. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting after the game that uh, um, you know Bud Bud really tried to deflect it in the post game. He was asked about it, and he said, you know, he pointed to the foul trouble, which Dennis did get in some foul trouble early, and they did take him off Thomas early. Uh, but it just didn't look like uh, Schroeder was ever ever in a rhythm, ever comfortable, and uh, you know. And then even after Bud deflected that stuff in the post game, you know, then uh, immediately he's, you know, he he had a different take in the in the locker room. Dennis did so, and uh, and uh, so you know, I, I, it's interesting. You know, the one thing about it when they come back in, I think more people are going to be talking about Schroeder uh, Thomas than they are Al Horford. You know, it may perhaps even so. You know, it's a good rivalry. These two teams, they they always, you know, that series last year was very entertaining, and I think the, you know, every time they match up, it, it's going to be this way. 
Yeah, it was definitely Horford on the way in and uh, Thomas and Schroeder on the way out of this game. But we should talk about Al a little bit. I thought he w- it was kind of an Al Horford game, you know, kind of under the radar, 10.6 rebounds, 6 assists, uh, played 35 minutes, was plus 13, played well. Um, it's I guess we can, you know, it's it's pretty easy to talk about the booing, and I think you and I are on the same page with this. I think it's kind of insane to have him booed as much as the as much as he was in this game. I thought he, you know, he pretty much clearly said it after the game that he was surprised by it. Uh, a, were you surprised by it? And B, um, do you agree with me that it was uh, something that probably shouldn't be happening, but not something that was terribly shocking? I suppose. I was I was a little surprised uh, by the intensity of it. Um, I'm not surprised that there was booze in the building. Uh, just from, you know, and I don't think you and I should have been, uh, you know, judging by some of the reaction we get on social media, you know, as far as Horford goes. There's a lot of hurt feelings there. I think there's a lot of people out there that don't really, haven't really paid attention to the whole story and what happened. You know, as far as his recruitment, they uh, they just feel like that Al just kind of picked his ball up and, and left, you know. And I don't, I don't, I think there's more to it than that. But, you know, I thought it was, uh, yeah, it's typical. I mean, we've seen Joe. We've seen the same thing happen to Joe Johnson. We've seen the same thing happen to Josh Smith. A little bit different situations there, but uh, you know, I think it's just part of it. Um, you know, I was a little surprised they put the video tribute up, and it was greedy with some boos. Uh, but you know, credit credit everyone. He got the standing O at the end of the video. You know, and, and and did a nice wave to the crowd, and then you know once that once that happened, you know it kind of fe- just felt like a basketball game after that. I thought Al deserved that moment, uh, you know, and now hey, everybody can boo him when he's on the free throw line. He's wearing green, you know. It's and we it's felt like everybody just kind of that was the moment where everybody just kind of moved on a little bit. Uh, you know, it was interesting though. I mean, everybody come in, the focus was on. Al Horford and and Dwight Howard and uh, you know and then Dwight didn't even play in the fourth quarter and Horford was pretty quiet most of the game you know that, and by the time it was over all the focus was on the two point guards. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to ask you about Dwight even, and I, before we get to that, I mean I definitely agree that you know I'm glad people cheered after the video tribute. You know Horford played nine years and did a fantastic job, but the exit, you know, with the way it happened, uh, I will always go. I will always say Joe Johnson does not deserve to be booed because he got traded. Um, Horford did sign elsewhere, so I understand some of the venom. I do get it. Um, I don't really have it, but I, I do understand it. Whereas, uh, but I'm, I'm glad the people in the building at least appreciated him during that one portion of the game when he was being uh, given the tribute. But uh, on the court, this is a rough matchup for Dwight Howard, I would argue. Uh, I'm going to defend him because I know you're probably not going to <laughs> on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, I thought Howard was okay, honestly, in this game. He didn't play in the fourth quarter, as you said. 11 points, 8 rebounds. Um, him playing against uh, both Al Horford and especially Kelly Olenek is very tough for Dwight because Olenek was uh, unconscious in this game. Had 26 points on 9 of 11, shooting with 4 or 5 from 3. That's a guy who can really give Dwight problems. Um, but with, just with his spacing and his jump shooting, and that really was uh, a reason that Horford, I mean, that Howard did not come back in this game. And of course, you know, the Hawks were down, uh, down big here to the point where he might have even been told he was not going to go back in, um, stuff like that. I, I'm not, I don't know that to be sure, but um, it, not, it was not that weird that he didn't play. It was just, I guess, when it got tight at the end, people seemed to want him to come back in. But uh, I'm okay with Bud riding with the hot hands with how well it was going and the fact that it's just not a good matchup for Dwight at all, to be honest. You know, Al, Al and Dwight are so different, and that's something we've been talking about for so long now. But, uh, you know, when they play against each other, it manifests itself in that, you know, Dwight's not comfortable going out to 20, 21 feet to play defense. And you saw that in this game against Olenek and Horford, I thought. 
Yeah, I mean, a couple of things there. Um, you know, I actually went back and looked at the – I think Boston hit 17 threes in that game. It was a, it was a little bit uh, unbelievable, and, bo- and most of them came in the first and third quarter. But, you know, I went back and looked at them, and I really didn't uh, – I really didn't think I could pin uh, any of them, maybe one, that where I just felt like Dwight was out of position. You know, I, uh, Bud talked about it a little bit in the, in the post game of that Boston uh, Boston game that, you know, he thought it was uh, – some of it was a, a, a hot hand. Uh, you know, they just made shots. Uh, a couple of times it was a, a defensive coverage, and, and then other times he thought it was just solid execution. I mean, you, the Hawks had a guy running at him, but, he uh, you know, he had to go so far to help on the, on the pick and roll. He couldn't recover in time. Uh, so, you know, I thought Olenek did a really good job. You know, that, Boston does a heck of a job spreading the floor driving to the lane, kicking it out, um, you know, so, I mean, I couldn't, I mean, I, it's a tough matchup for Dwight Howard, uh, but, you know, I didn't think he was, uh, I didn't think he was the reason they, they you know, went crazy from the outside, uh, but at the end of the game, you know, as it, Bud talked about it, he, he went small, he, he tried to get a little more athletic, I believe that was the word, uh, phrase he used in the post game, and, uh you know, I mean, they're down twenty at that point. You know, you've got to you've got to kind of go against the grain a little bit. They got small and they got hot. You know, Delaney. I thought that was interesting. Our friend KL, uh, you know, asked about uh, Dunleavy uh, play, possibly playing some uh, small ball four, and uh, you know, and I think some people, you know, kind of joked, uh, laughed a little bit about that in, in the pregame, and then next thing you know, when he makes his debut, he's a small ball four, you know, and he knocks down a couple of big threes there. So I think Bud just rode with that group, you know, the rest of the way, um, you know, and I thought it that was the right call. I got several questions about, you know, why why not put Dennis back in? Why not get Dwight back in? And, I mean, Boston was small, the house were small, you know, and I mean, it's just going to be nights that uh, Dwight's a, not a good matchup. You know, and uh, and there's other nights where he has to be in there. You know, so uh, I thought, you know, that was the good thing about this two, this weekend. The two games were so different. Um, you know, Milwaukee couldn't do the same things to Dwight, and he was a big factor in in Sunday's win. And uh, you know, I just uh, I just think I think Bud was right, made the right calls in this one. Yeah, I mean, it's not a shot at Dwight to say that the Hawks need to play a different way when you're down by 20 late in the game. Um, they ha- they went to this switching defense. They went to the fast-paced sort of five-out offensive system, and that's what you. I mean, that's more conducive to coming back from a large deficit, especially against a team like Boston. So it's not really a shot at Dwight. I thought again he was fine in this game and kind of did what he kind of did what he could do. Um, but it wasn't a situation where you needed him desperately on the court, so it wasn't a big deal to me that he didn't bring him back in. I know we got a lot of questions. About that, so I wanted to hit on it a little bit. Um, I mean, that's kind of. I mean, we we talked about the Boston game. Of course, there's two other games to talk about from from the weekend. Um, but you know, a, a strong performance from Atlanta, I thought, in the in the aggregate. You know, they losing to Boston at home is not great, especially when Boston doesn't have Avery Bradley. But there's no shame in losing to a team that I think is better than you. To be honest, like it's not a wide, a super wide gap. I do think Boston's the better team, and this is sort of a coin flip game at the end. You know, the Hawks uh, offensively, the numbers look pretty good for the entire game, but most most of that damage was done in the fourth quarter. Um, as you said, they struggled they struggled early on, and especially in the third quarter offensively. But in the end, you know, losing by two is not a criminal result here against this team in Boston that played well for the most part, especially with Thomas and, and, and Olenek kind of going crazy. So I was okay with that. I thought it was like a you know a B minus performance from Atlanta, so not not a disastrous showing, even if the result wasn't wasn't terribly wasn't terribly good. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, they could they could play better off play better offensively, but I definitely think uh, Boston had something to do with that. 
as well. I mean, it was a good performance. They battled back a couple of times in that game when they had an opportunity to just fold it up. So, you know, uh, overall, I mean, it, it snapped a seven-game winning streak, you know, uh, but, you know, and, and they're good for them that they were able to bounce back Sunday. Uh, you know, I think that's the key, not not turning a single loss into a, you know, a, a losing streak. And I think that's, a, you know, that was good that they were able to avoid that. For sure. Um, and listen, uh, with the rest of the weekend, this, that does not look like a bad loss at all because, uh, as, you, as we say, that they lost uh, on Friday to, break the, to lose the uh, winning streak, but they do win two in a row after that. They've now, won nine, what, they've now won nine of ten, and you mentioned it Sunday. We should talk about that game against Milwaukee. This is the, uh, obviously the easiest win of the weekend out of the two, and uh, the Bucks have been playing quite well uh, to the point where they're one of the more popular teams in the league right now. Um, but, you know, you let Giannis Antetokounmpo kind of go crazy with 33 points, eight rebounds, six assists, two steals, and three blocks in this game. But aside from that, uh, the Hawks did a tremendous job defensively on everybody but Giannis, and that really allowed them to uh, do a good job for the most part in getting a 13-point win there. Um, I mean, again, you were in the building. What was the overall takeaway that you had from this spot? Uh, a couple, couple of guys played better in this game than they did the previous night, for sure, including uh, the, big, the, big, the big stuff from Mike Dunleavy off the bench. But uh, uh, what did you, you see happening on Sunday afternoon? Uh, well, you know, it was clear from early on, you know, it wasn't nowhere near uh, as uh, as much energy in the building. And, uh, you know, as a, a three o'clock start, you always worry about how the team's going to come out. Milwaukee came out pretty quick. Uh, I think Atlanta was down 20 to nine early. Uh, Bud surprises everybody since Mike Dunleavy, the first sub off the bench. Uh, and man, did it pay off? I mean, he comes in, he he scores ten. Uh, they make they make up uh you know they make up the difference. Paul Millsap hits a three at the end of the quarter buzzer. Uh, it's thirty six thirty six. Uh, you know, not a lot of defense played in that opening twelve minutes. But I thought the Hawks really, really tightened down in the second. Uh, you know, Milwaukee still scored a lot of points. Uh, but man, they, the Hawks really shut the lane off. Uh, they stopped guys getting into the into the lane into the paint. And, uh, you know, really started forcing them into some long jump shots. And, uh, and Milwaukee kind of went cold there. So, Atlanta was able to grab grab control of the game. Uh, Milwaukee started a third pretty good. I think a 7-0 run to start, but had to call time. And then Kent Bazemore, uh, you know, scored 13 points in that third quarter. And, and that was pretty much it. Uh, Atlanta grabbed control and didn't really let up after that. So, uh, you know, good performances all around. Malcolm Delaney, uh, you know, he uh, he he closed the game for the second straight uh, game, uh, you know, over Dennis Schroeder. Uh, it's really good to see him uh, making shots. You know, and he struggled so much with his jump shot early on. Uh, but, you know, he, he does a good job running the game, controlling the pace. Uh, I think he's I think he's all right defensively. Uh, it's just he's he's not been able with any consistency to knock down jump shots, but he's been able to do that this month, and I think that's a you know that's a huge lift for him. It's a um, you know it's a confidence boost for him, and uh, you know and I think it really helps Atlanta if it, if they've got a guy they can go to when Dennis is struggling. For sure, you know I've been I've kind of been uh, making fun of the fact that Delaney's never going to be as bad of a shooter as he was early on, and we've seen that now in January he starts to look good. I think he's shooting somewhere in the mid fifties from the field in January, it's just, and that's a small sample size too. Just like I'm not going to tell you that's that that's the real number, just because um, I've been I've been preaching small sample size with Delaney all year. I just think he's a better shooter than he was early on, and we've seen some of that coming back to earth. It's all also happening with Baysmore right now. I mean, you, we mentioned him here, but he had 24 points on eight, eight of 13 shooting, four of seven from three. 
on Sunday against Milwaukee. Uh, he was the high scorer for Atlanta and really played one of his better games of the year. Uh, Dunleavy, Dunleavy, of course, 20 points on 10 shots, including 4 or 5 from 3. Um, kind of came out of nowhere, and that's an unsustainable performance from Dunleavy, but still, uh, they, needed, they needed those points in this game. And the Hawks, really, as a team, had one of their best offensive performances of the night, you know, 11, I mean, of the year. Uh, 111 in terms of scoring is obviously good, but this is a very slow paced game. Uh, there was only 90 possessions, and the Hawks had a, had a 124.3 offensive rating here. Um, that's very, very solid against the Milwaukee team that can, that can defend and give, give teams some problems. I thought Atlanta, aside from Schroeder, who struggled again, uh, most guys in the lineup played well offensively, and that really uh, was kind of what they did here to uh, sustain a victory because, you know, the overall numbers. Defensively, we're not, but we're not really good. But aside from the first quarter, when the team, as you said, allowed Milwaukee to get off to a fast start, including 36 points in the first quarter. After that, the defense really settled down. This was kind of a dominant win. Um, I mean, you, you, won, you they won by 11 points. I mean, th- uh, 13 points, but it felt, it felt like more than that. To be honest, uh, Atlanta felt like, like the better team throughout this game, and to be be a fellow playoff team, at least at, the, at this moment, uh, by that convincing of a margin, is uh, pretty encouraging. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100 with that. Um, you know, it's. Uh, and again, you know, I think coming off a deflating loss on Friday night, um, you know, I think that the Hawks showed a lot of resiliency there. I mean, about the only bad uh, bad thing to come from it was, uh, you know, the injury to Mike Muscala. I didn't mention that in the first quarter, but he uh, he left with a ankle injury, and um, you know, we we talked to we didn't get a chance to talk to him in the locker room. Uh, but he did not return, and uh, but he I seen and saw him in the locker room, and he was uh, he was limping, uh, pretty good. Uh, it looked a little swollen, uh, but Bud, you know, was pretty quick in the post game to say, you know, you weren't going to put him on an airplane and uh, and fly him to New York, and uh, he'll probably be reevaluated. There was no guarantees that he'd be ready for uh, you know Wednesday's game in Detroit either. So, you know, I think there's a good chance we might not see him again until Friday at the earliest. Uh, uh, so, you know. That that kind of put a little bit of a strain on the on rotation for Monday, Monday or for today's game or Monday's game actually. So, you know, it's a it was a good win, uh, no doubt. Uh, you know, for the Bucks, uh, just to be able to come back after after Friday's loss, you know, to bounce back with a win, I thought that was important. For sure, and that, yeah, Muscala's injury is worth noting, and uh, that's the right call. I mean, there's no reason to push him on Monday and not even fly him up. He he was tweeting during the game, so he's, you know, offering some encouragement to the to the guys during the game on Monday. But uh, we'll keep an eye on Muscala. I thought it was pretty telling. Uh, I think he tweeted this as well that Muscala basically missed this entire game on Sunday, and the Hawks uh, still did not go with Mike Scott off the bench. Uh, he he did play on Monday when the team was even short even more shorthanded, which we'll get to in a second. But um, um, no minutes uh, at all for for Scott. Prince for Scott and Prince or Bembry on Sunday. That was really kind of surprising given the fact that Muscala was short, was uh, out of the lineup, and they basically went with nine guys. Uh, Humphreys played 11 minutes, but really it was for an eight, really an eight man rotation for most of this game, and that was uh, a little bit surprising for me. But you know, it was working for Atlanta, and they did very well offensively, and that was kind of enough to sustain a victory here. But we'll keep an eye on Muscala for sure because that's that's a guy the Hawks definitely need. He's definitely one of their best, you know, seven or eight players, so they need to keep an eye on him, and hopefully, to, you know, that, the Hawks are kind of famous for taking for taking cautious approaches so no I'm not worried that they'll rush him along but they do need him I mean he's a solid upgrade on the other options uh, including Chris Humphreys who I thought played pretty well honestly on Monday but that's not something that I expect to continue very long so Muscal is a guy that the Hawks need we'll keep an eye on that um that's kind of wrap up on Sunday I, I suppose you know that was, that was a less exciting uh less exciting game on, on the in the overall even if the Hawks did get that solid win but there's one more game to talk about and that was the one on Monday on MLK Day 
national TV and NBA TV audience for this one. The Hawks go into New York and get a one-point win over the Knicks. Uh, this is a back-and-forth game. It was pretty tight throughout the game. The Hawks looked uh, like they were in bad shape very, very late here, but um, they managed to come back and get a win. Uh, they were bailed out by a last-second block by Paul Millsap uh, on Derrick Rose on, a, on, a, on some penetration on the last play, and uh, Carmelo Anthony had a jump shot go begging that the uh, Hawks were certainly happy for, I'm sure, as they got another win here, uh, 108-107. to uh, Lots to talk about in this game. Uh, Dwight Howard was a late scratch, um, kind of weirdly, um, I would say. Uh, I'll say that so that nobody else on this podcast has to say it. Um, but <laughs> listen, uh, you know, guys, he, he, was, he was officially listed as a, as a guy who was out for rest on Monday. But normally when that happens, you announce that ahead of time. Um, and this was something where probably like 20 minutes before the game, maybe 30 minutes before the game, they announced that Howard was going to miss this game for rest, which is a little bit ominous, I would say. But, um, you know, not, not something to be terribly worried about. It was just sort of a weird circumstance. And the Hawks have had some weird uh, injury report stuff in the recent past. Also, DeAndre Bembry missed this game for personal reasons. That was announced well before, which is another reason why I was confused in that they'd already put out an official release that had Bembry on it. And then they had to update it with a rest absence for Howard, which is a bit strange. But, and, and I, from what I understand from Chris Livermore, the AJC, um, in the pregame, uh, but was very non-committal about it. In typical Hawks fashion, you know, they don't like to give out too much information, and Bud is uh, very close to the vest, but for the guy to be listed as rest is a little bit interesting there on Howard, but it did, and, that, and that definitely affected uh, the way the Hawks played throughout this game, just because you know he's he's really the uh, with with Pascal out of the lineup, he's certainly the best option um, and best best and really only good option at center. You know Humphreys played a lot here and actually played well again, but uh, that's more of a bl- blind luck thing for me in my opinion because Humphreys is a guy I don't have the I don't have the highest opinion of, but he did play well here and that was that helped Atlanta to get this victory. But um, how did you think the Hawks played differently without Dwight? In this spot, um, did they miss him a, a big time? Because I think uh, it was a good matchup for the Hawks in that the Knicks didn't have Porzingis, who is uh, arguably the Knicks' best player, if not second-best player behind Carmelo Anthony. That's a huge thing to mention here. But uh, did you think the loss of Howard uh, really affected things a, a great deal? Did they, would, would the Hawks have had an easier time with him? How do you think about that? Uh, well, I mean, I thought they thought they really got hurt, killed on the glass early on, especially. Um, you know, So, I, yeah, I definitely think Dwight's, having Dwight out there would have helped. Uh, you know, he's going to rebound, uh, and uh, whether he's giving you offense or not, and I believe in the last matchup, you know, he had about 20 rebounds in, in that game. So, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a loss, and it was even – it hurt even worse because Muscala was out, you know, and that's what I was looking at. And you're looking at the raw availables, you know, and you've got Chris Humphreys that can play center, or and then you're down to Paul Millsap, and they actually decided to uh, – elected to start with that small unit. Uh, with Millsap at center and Tim Hardaway Jr. actually moving into the starting lineup, uh, which I like you know, by the way. Yeah, I mean it was it was good. It's a different look. We know Bud likes to play small. He may not talk about it a lot, but he does it. Uh, it seems like he doesn't uh, pass up an opportunity to go small, <laughs> and uh, you know I really think he enjoys that. I think he likes that five wide out, uh, you know, look. And uh, you know, over the years, we if when he first got here, we we tried everything we could to you know try to put a traditional spin on it. And then, you know, I think it was uh, you, we just kind of finally realized that hey, you know, Bud likes this five out look. And I thought Perro Antich was a great example of that, you know, early on. But uh, but yeah, I mean, getting back to uh, this game, you know, I thought the Hawks, I thought the Hawks played pretty well. I mean, they were t- they were clearly tired. Both teams were. Uh, they really gutted their way through it. Uh, you know, credit to Dennis Schroeder for coming back, having a huge game, uh, hit a huge, absolutely huge shot with 22 seconds left, a three, uh, you know, just just nailed it. And then uh, Paul Millsap just looked completely gassed 
most of the, uh, most of the game. Uh, he's five for eighteen from the field, six of ten from the free throw line. Probably, but came up with the biggest play at the biggest moment. You know, with a block against Derrick Rose. Um, you know, and and that kind of. Or Anthony had a chance, but that you know that that sealed the win. Um, so you know, I thought that was a good win uh, for them to they escaped. Uh, you know, it's another road win. I don't think you can uh, ever have too many of those. So, uh, and to do it without Howard, it's got to be a um, you know it's got to be a confidence booster. Yeah, you, I mean, you mentioned Millsap being gassed. He had every reason to be. You know, he played forty minutes against Boston. He played thirty six minutes against Milwaukee on Sunday, and then 30, 39 minutes on Monday. Um, really, really kind of pushing Paul to the limit in terms of what he can do at his age and uh, with the workload in three games in four days, especially a couple, you know, back-to-back afternoon games, very strange circumstance, uh, very rare. I think Dominique on the broadcast said that he'd never seen that. Um, just with, you know, you see, you see, you see back-to-backs all the time, and uh, I guess it's better to be playing a back-to-back with both afternoons than have one night game, one afternoon game, but at the same time, it's just a weird, weird spot that guys are not used to doing, and I thought Paul, you know, he didn't shoot well here, 5 of 18 from the floor, but he did everything else you could possibly ask him to do including you know the game saving block seven rebounds six assists three steals three blocks played great defense throughout this game um was even was even guarding Carmelo Anthony down the stretch and at certain times and Paul just kind of does it all you know Dennis you said Dennis had 28 points including the biggest shot of the game from three late uh, Tamara Jr. played well in the starting lineup had 20 points and uh just in general I thought the Hawks played uh Played valiantly here, you know, not the not a perfect game by any stretch. You know, the rebounding was a problem. The, the Knicks rebounded thirty five percent of their misses, which is a problem. That's a that's a throwback number for Atlanta um, to last year and maybe the, even the year before when they when they not they were not as good on the glass, but they were able to fight through that defensively. Uh, things were not fantastic here. They allowed one hundred and ten points per, per hundred possessions to the Knicks. Um, the Knicks are not an awful offensive team by any stretch, but without Porzingis, you'd like to see that, that number come down a little bit. But the offense for Atlanta took advantage of what is a bad Knicks defense and. And that's a good good thing to see. You know, Bazemore had a couple of positive moments, had 16 points. Humphreys, as I said before, had a really a big game. He shot three or three from three, which is uh I'll say unsustainable, I would guess. Um, but Humphreys did make a, a bunch a bunch of plays here. 14 points, seven rebounds in 24 minutes. Uh, very good minutes off the bench for him. And uh, you know, Delaney had another nice game, nice steady hand game off the bench, and a good thing there. I do want to say. Um, Mike Dunleavy came back to earth with an 05 game, just to kind of remind people that it's not going to be every night that he goes crazy. Uh, and also Mike Scott, who got got up, you know, the Hawks had pretty much no choice but to play him in this game. Uh, he, he played 10 minutes. I thought did not look fantastic at all, but good to see him on the court at least as an option moving forward because uh, that's a guy who people have. I, I know I, I got a lot of questions on as to whether he's ever going to be, you know, full strength and back of the rotation again. Uh, I'm not sure this answered those questions, but uh, he at least did get, did, did get on the court and play here. Um, I don't know. It's weird in that the Hawks should the Hawks should beat the Knicks um, really any, every time because the Knicks are not very good. Um, but you know, without Howard Porzingis, you know, Levenfield, the playing field is probably leveled a little bit. Uh, I, I thought the Hawks just kind of played okay and got a win, which is kind of all you can do on the road on the second night, the second day of back to back because uh, people don't win that game very often, and the Hawks went out and did it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, credit them again because, uh, uh, you know, I, it was a close game all the way through. And, uh, you know, neither team was really able to get a, a upper hand. And, and it felt like, you know, the back-to-backs for both both squads kind of played, uh, you know, played a big factor in that. But uh, New York did hit, catch a little run right there at the end of the fourth quarter. And you thought, yeah, you know, this is going to be the moment, you know, kind of where it gets sideways from Atlanta. And, uh, you know, they got a couple – they dug in, got a couple of stops there. 
uh, Schroeder comes up, you know, huge with that huge shot uh, at the end. And, you know, I thought that was another opportunity. I mean, the Hawks had every excuse in the world. Uh, you know, they were shorthanded. They played 10 guys. But, you know, I thought it was interesting. Mike Scott, Torian Prince uh, didn't play in the second half. So they basically went with eight-man rotation, um, you know, and, and as you said, really rode Paul Millsap hard down the stretch. Uh, you know, didn't shoot well, but he anchored that defense. And, uh, you know, and again, too, I, I was kind of I was kind of rough on Chris Humphreys a little bit in our game thread. But, uh, you know, he came up big, you know, and that's why that's why he's on this team. You know, um, um, you know, it was kind of kind of bizarre early on when he was out of the rotation when uh, and the Hawks were playing small and he was sitting over there, you know, with a warm up zone. You were kind of wondering, you know, why is he on the roster if he's not going to play now? You know, why is he why is he here? But, uh, you know, I thought he came up big. I don't think he can. You know, I don't think he's going to knock down three three-pointers a day, uh, a night, um, you know, with regularity. But uh, I thought he, you know, he gave him some valuable minutes, and uh, especially in the second half. Yeah, that's not bad at all. I mean, obviously, Humphreys, this is what you have him for, as you said. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan. I've got a reputation of being a basher of Humphreys, and that's probably warranted. I don't think he's very good, to be honest. But at the same time, this is a reason why you have the guy around. When you have two guys out of the lineup in the front court in Muscala and Howard, um, Humphreys is a guy you can throw out and plug and play, and uh, sometimes he's going to play well, and he played well here. And that, line, that lines up well, and I'm not sure the Hawks win this game if he doesn't play well, which is a weird thing to say because uh, he, I think he's you know maybe your 13th best player on the roster, something like that, 12-13. Um, but still, I mean, they needed him in this game. He stepped up, and that's why you have a, a veteran who's, who's been through this kind of stuff before to come in and play minutes, and he uh, he was huge here. So I'm uh, definitely willing to give him some credit when it's due, and uh, that today is one of those instances uh, of, of when he played very well and was very valuable for the Hawks. Um, you know, that's going to kind of do it for our uh, game stuff. Uh, obviously, this is the first time in, in this podcast history where we had, we've, we've had to do three recaps in one game and, and, one, and one show just because of how the schedule fell and uh, being three over the weekend. The fact that we were not going to try to record a podcast and have it post uh, Monday morning before a one o'clock tip off on Monday. So I uh, appreciate you doing this, Chris. There was a couple of no, uh, news things to hit before I let you get out of here. Um, okay. Smaller, smaller things. But uh, the first one was Tiago Splitter. Um, I sort of sent you to the arena on Friday with a question to ask um, on Tiago because I, I hear all the time from listeners of the podcast, readers of ours at Peachtree Hoops, um, you know, is Splitter ever going to come back? And we hadn't heard an update from uh, from Bud in a long time, and I guess he was asked about that. So tell people what, what you found or what was uncovered and uh, just kind of uh, that update. Yeah, our friend uh, KL uh, asked the question um, of Bud uh, on uh, for an update on Tiago, and uh, Bud was replied with a simple no. There was no update. Uh, nothing had changed. So, <laughs> which is a Bud yeah, answer if I've ever heard one in my life. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, you know, is there an update? No, and you know that was that was pretty much where it ended. Um, so you know, same same statuses, uh, same update as we got a couple of weeks ago. So nothing new on that front. Um, you know, I did see Tiago, uh, <clears throat> you know, at the bench area, um, you know, so, you know, I, I, I don't know, <laughs> but it, we don't have any answers there, but, uh, you know, it was asked, so. Yeah, know, I mean, that's. And I, it was asked to me the last last time, and, and you know it's been a while since the Hawks had a home game. And obviously, I mean, I think, I think they were away from for ten, eleven days here without without a home game. So I wanted to make sure uh, people knew that we asked it or some of that it was asked. Uh, I tweeted this out on uh, Sunday, but um, the last the last formal splitter update came on November twenty fifth. 
And at that point, uh, the official release was that he's going to be out a minimum of six weeks. We're now at seven weeks and three days since that update. So it's not like it's been uh, a crazy amount beyond that minimum, that, that minimum, but it's just uh, concerning that we've not heard anything else about Splitter. You know, as you mentioned, he was on the sideline for those games this weekend. He was also in New York today. He did travel with the team. He's around. It's just what, whether he's going to play or not this season. People keep asking me that, and really anything that I would tell you would be a pure guess. We just don't know anything about his situation in terms of his injury stuff. I've not seen him work out. I'm sure he is and trying to rehab and get back. But um, anything in terms of uh, prognostication on his return is going to be a pure guess from me. Um, and I, I just want people to know that we did ask it. That it was it was asked, and uh, there was no answer, and that's kind of a vintage Hawks. But at the same time, if they don't have an update, that's also possible that they just don't know. Um, splitters injuries have been, uh, they're all muscle related and those can kind of linger in a way and it's really kind of tough to diagnose and that's why they used, I'm sure, the minimum of six weeks when they announced it, just kind of keep people off the scent a little bit and have them not have this not be a constant theme. I've not been asking it every time I can get a hold of Budenholzer in a pregame press conference, but at the same time, it's been a few weeks since the last time I asked about it, at least the last time I heard it, I heard it asked and uh you know, not surprising, but at the same time, kind of troubling that Splitter has not been available. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of Splitter. If he's healthy, it's just a question of whether he's ever going to be that again. Yeah, I agreed. Uh, you know, like I said, I think it's at this point uh, you hate it. You, you got to feel bad for a guy like Tiago. Uh, you know, because I really think he could have helped this team. I think he, uh, you know, he's just not been able to get healthy. And and the troublesome, troublesome part is that calves give him trouble even dating back to San Antonio days. And it seems like, uh, you know, then he had the hip hip issue. And it seems like anytime he ramps up, you know, it's it's something else that, it, that pops up. And, uh, you know, that's disappointing for him. And, um, you know, I'm sure for a lot of Hawks fans out there too. So, um, you know, I, I mean, I, at this point, you know, I think if if, we, if the Atlanta gets anything positive out of Tiago Splitter, then I think you almost have to treat it as a bonus. You know, I'm not giving up on him yet, but, you know, I mean, it, he just looks like a long shot to ever get back in and, and get acclimated. I mean, he's going on almost a calendar year, uh, you know, since he last played. So, you know, that's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, it's, it's been a while on Splitter. And, uh, well, I'm hopeful. I'm definitely not expecting him to play this year. I mean, we'll see if that happens. I'm not ruling it out by any stretch, but uh, even if he was healthy, uh, it's going to take him some time to get ready to go. I mean, we've seen that with Mike Scott, who didn't have training camp, and kind of how long it's taken him to get going, and even it can be argued whether he's ever ever had it going this year. Uh, with Splitter having not played basketball in 12 months, essentially, um, it would be a, a long, a long-term thing for Splitter. If you know, this team is now you know, almost clearly, in my opinion, focused on trying to make the playoffs and trying to get in. Um, so if they get Splitter back in February, maybe. Um, give him a couple months to get ready to go, potentially have him be a bench contributor uh, in the playoffs or at least late in the season. But uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves there to be projecting anything with Splitter at this point in time. Uh, there was one more piece of news I thought was pretty interesting and sort of almost baffling in my opinion. Um, Mark Stein of ESPN over the, over the weekend reported that the Hawks were looking at signing Gary Neal to a 10-day contract in the coming days was the report um, from Mark Stein, who's a guy I trust and is one of the best in the business. Um, for those of you that don't know, or that are not familiar with Gary Neal's work, he's a 32-year-old uh, sort of combo guard, um, you, you, uh, formerly with the Spurs, played with the Wizards last season, um, has been uh, kind of bounced around the league. A good shooter. Uh, Neal is a career 38% three-point shooter, shot 41% from three last year with the Wizards, but uh, 
an interesting guy that the Hawks would be targeting uh, potentially on a short-term contract, contract like that only because he's a veteran and not a developmental guy at all. You kind of know what Gary Neal is. He's uh, he's fine. Uh, he's been linked to the Hawks previously in, 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 in a previous life, but uh, Neal would be fine. It's just a weird spot um, for a number of reasons, including the fact that the Hawks don't have a roster spot right now. This is a team with 15 guys, and while one of them is Mo Williams, he is still on the team. So uh, what was your first takeaway And when you heard this news about Gary Neal, and uh, is it something that you think the Hawks should probably uh, be interested in or how, how do you feel about it um you know i won't say it was terribly surprising because uh you know i i think the assumption is that uh mo williams is going to be waived at some point uh and and you know i wouldn't be shocked to see the hawks you know kind of audition several players uh for that 15 with that 15th roster spot uh gary neal you know he, he just started playing in the d league he's playing for the texas legends um, you know, he's shooting the ball pretty well. And we know this team this team still needs some shooting. Uh, you know, it looks like Mike Dunleavy's gonna be able to contribute a little bit. Uh, but you know, they weren't they weren't a good uh shooting team when Kyle Corver was here. <clears throat> and um I, I don't think, you know, I, I don't think his absence has made them suddenly made them better. So, you know, I think their uh, shooting's a thing they're they're gonna continue to look for. Um, you know, it, it would be interesting to see if it's a veteran <clears throat> over a uh, young player. Uh, but it, you know, it also makes a lot, a little bit of sense too, uh, that Bud might be uh, more inclined to go with a guy that he's got some familiar familiarity with, you know, for a ten day contract. Yeah, it's not going to blow me away if that's what happens. You know, Gary Neal is again, he could be useful to be sure. It's just uh, I'm of the mind as everyone that listens to this podcast probably knows at this point uh, to be looking toward the future rather than the present and if you are going to clear a roster spot by cutting Mo Williams, I'd like to see the Hawks at least think about prioritizing a young player um, that could do that. You know, there's been some speculation that Neil could play some point guard. I don't really see that. Neil is not a guy who can go out and do that for you at this point in his career. In my opinion, I think he's a shooting guard. Um, he has played some faux point guard in his, in his previous life, but I think at this point at 32, um, you know, offensively maybe, but defensively he can't. He certainly cannot, cannot guard point guards defensively. So it's a weird spot in that it's a, a guy who is a, he's a capable NBA player with a capable NBA skill as a shooter, and that could be helpful. But I like to see them prioritize the future a little bit more. That's sort of uh, been something that I think the Hawks are not doing the last few games. I think the Hawks are uh, at least from what we can see now are fully in this playoff mode, and I, I don't like that. And there's there's room to talk about that down the line with you, Chris. I know we can talk about that both online and offline all day long. Um, but you know this this would certainly be in line with that movement towards this year versus the future if you if they went out and signed Gary Neal, um, so something to keep an eye on um, in the very near future potentially. I and mean, even before you listen to this podcast, I mean Stein basically said may seem like it was going to be coming in the next couple of days, and uh, if that did not happen, uh, then we'll we'll see what happens from there. But something something to watch for for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and you know, Bud Bud said did say before uh, the Sunday's game that you know the Hawks were exploring a lot of things. Uh, you know, we're constantly looking for, uh, you know, ways to upgrade the roster. Uh, so, you know, it kind of felt like he didn't come out and say it, but it kind of felt like, you know, maybe they maybe they are, uh, you know, they're looking at several different guys, several different options. Uh, so, you know, it's something to keep an eye on, especially, you know, as, as the closer we get to the trade deadline, see who comes available. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's, it certainly looks like, you know, they're, 
they're all in on the present and uh, you know are looking for how they can strengthen what can be a playoff roster. I'm uh, I'm stunned <laughs> that Mike Budolzer gave an open in response in in that way <laughs> about the team uh, looking at a number of options. That sounds like that sounds nothing like Mike Budolzer to me. Uh, no, I'm <laughs> kidding. Uh, that's uh, it's not a shot at Bud. That's just kind of but how Bud is. He's he's very buttoned up, uh, even more so now that he's the GM. Uh, it's 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 very interesting. Uh, anyway, Chris, uh, thanks for doing this, man. Uh, please plug anything you'd like to do on this fine Monday night as we record. But Tuesday, as people listen to it, and there's a lot going on. So I tell people where they can find you and this and anything you want to plug. No, just uh, you know, just check out Peachtree Hoops. Uh, you know, and uh, stay locked in there. We're trying. We're doing our best to um, you know get some keep fresh content up there and uh, keep you guys informed on on what direction Atlanta Hots are going. For sure, and uh, Falkers on Twitter as well. I'll, I'll link to him uh, in the uh, bio for this podcast, and also follow the show a lot at Locked On Hawks. Follow the show on Facebook at Locked On Hawks, and me at BT Roland on Twitter. I appreciate everybody listening. I apologize for the absence over the weekend, but that's kind of what happens. Uh, life happens, and uh, we'll be back in the building. I'll be there on Friday night. Um, the Hawks have a couple of games before that, so we'll see what happens between then. So uh, thanks for everybody for listening, and we'll be back on Wednesday.